When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. No game. You know what, usually the last couple weeks has been no Pastor Toby, but it's no game. He's on... Uh, if, get a vacation? If, if he says anything about me being gone, <laughs> I expect you to just. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. Welcome to Cross Politics. Chocolate Knox here with Pastor Toby and Joe Webbin is waiting in the wing. Fight by flight. We're going to talk about that. That's right. I, but, first, a, yeah. but first, our Fight Laugh East magazine is a quarterly issue that packs a punch like a 21 year Balvini. Ooh, no. Ice. Old ad, isn't it? We don't water down our scotch. Why would we water down our theology or our magazine ads? Order a yearly <laughs> subscription for yourself and then send a couple yearly subscriptions to your friends who've been drinking lukewarm evangelical Kool-Aid. I bet Joel Webbin could give us a list of um, the people I, that yeah, maybe yeah. need subscriptions. Every quarter, we promise quality food for the soul, wine for the heart, and some Red Bull. Returning over tables. Our magazine includes cultural commentary, a psalm of the quarter, recipes for feasting, a laughter sprinkled throughout the glossy pages, and more. Sign up today at fightlaughfeast.com. I'm pretty sure the um, the latest issue is about to go to the presses if it hasn't already. Um, American marriage sodomized. Yikes! Uh, and um, and it, yeah, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, but is Jeff Schaefer doing? Does he have an article uh, in that one? But I don't know if he does. But I think several of us <laughs> like are pulling like, on his are like channeling Jeff Schaefer's. Oh, um, I didn't uh, tell spirit. you this. So Jeff hit me up Sunday, yeah. and said that he has another piece that he's going to release. Oh, yeah. have you heard about this? No, I, I don't. But I, I just love what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm ready. I'm ready. Like yes, you should go to the Fight Laugh Feast app if you haven't already. Go type in Jeff Schaefer. Find that one find, piece. Oh. He did this one. Like what is it? Like a ten minute. It's thirty minutes. Oh man, Thir- thirty one minutes. Punch is like, like ten. But it, it filled. It, it, you're but right. It's, yeah, it's this tight, tight monologue um, by Jeff. On what happened to marriage in our country. That's right. And, and he's going to do another one he's for gonna us? He's going to do another one for us. And so I'm looking, I should receive it sometime today in email, and we're going to get it up this week. Okay. Share that joker like crazy. We're also trying to get him to do a master class on family law for the Fight Left Feast app. Yeah, man. So, I mean, Jeff Schaefer is the, the head of the Hale Institute, which is um, the Law and Policy Institute at New St. Andrews College. Um, and Jeff Schaefer's like the, like, <gasps> he's like the ninja, the, I don't know what, what what do we call the sensei? Yeah, of of uh, of law and policy. His uh, the topic is going to be on how words are to be used, and so how they're using words to reshape mm, reality. Man. So it's and he's a master with words too. Oh, man, so it's going to be phenomenal. Man, he is. And we're so grateful to have back with us our friend, our brother. Joel Webbin, Pastor Webbin, is the president and founder of Right Response Ministries, the senior minister, senior pastor of Covenant Bible Church in, on the north side of Austin, Texas. He's the husband of Megan, father of Olive, Ruth, Eleanor, and Franklin. Uh, 
It's so great to have you back with us, Joel. How's it going? It's going great. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah, man. I think we've, um, this is like the second time we talked to you maybe in a, in a couple of months. Yeah, it is. It's um, great. All, all I have to do is just keep uh, upsetting people and I get to hang out with my friends. Are you doing this on purpose? Are you trying to hang out <laughs> yeah. with us on purpose like this? Yeah, just to see you guys. Yeah. Okay. It's like, it's like, what do I got to do? <laughs> I got Alibet Stucky mad at me. I got the G3 guys mad at me. Come on. But Ali's not mad at you, is she? Um, no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a relationship with her, but she just, I think she just has some misunderstandings about, uh, the biblical view of patriarchy. She, she's under the impression, I think that, um, that, that some of the guys in the patriarchal camp, uh, believe that women shouldn't even learn theology, um, which is not the position. And then when it comes to teaching theology, I believe that women should teach emphasis, uh, in terms of application on feminine attributes. Um, so I think teaching the good is going to be centered on um, being submissive to husbands and lovers of children. And to to kind of contrast that, I, I don't think that you should have, even with a non-mixed crowd, a women's only context, I don't think that we need to create women only context with a woman teacher doing a 17-week course on doctrine of God. I think that primarily women will learn that, but they'll learn it right beside their husbands on the Lord's Day from the biblically qualified male pastors. And I think that position has upset a lot of people, but I think it's a reasonable position uh, that we find throughout church history and more importantly in the Bible. Okay. Man. Hold on. Uh oh. Before we even, because last time, the reason we're uh -oh. having you back on so soon yeah. is because last time we were supposed to talk about your book, Fight by Flight, a pastor's <laughs> attempt, and Loving California by Leaving California. And we never got there because we started talking about so, Christian so, nationalism. So, so and don't, let him, don't let him get you. So, yeah, don't let him get so you off. This, yeah, does not get off topic here. <laughs> there you go. Raise that book up. That's what I'm talking about. And so, I, so the reason, so this is interesting, Joel. So I'm on the internet. And I know we didn't talk about your book last time, but the conversation was so good. And this is like, okay, but I'm on the internet. And the next thing I know, I look up and there's this guy out in Massachusetts who has a video talking about you. And I'm thinking to myself, what has happened that people who believe in exegesis, exegeting the scripture, uh, working through the Bible, the Lord's Day, and not like some sort of performance or show stuff like that. What happened? What has Joel done that has made reform guys all of a sudden pick their topic around you. Like what have you done where they interrupt the exegesis of their text <laughs> to drop in this clip? Today there are popular supposed Reformed Baptist podcasters who are attempting to make a movement to popularize the insane notion that Christians should only live in red states and are under some sort of divine imperative to flee blue states, to flee secular and hostile cities, to retreat to small towns in Texas. I'm glad we have a visitor from Texas with us today. And the purpose of this is in order to avoid their tax dollars going to governments that do wicked things. I guess they've forgotten about what Jesus said about paying taxes to Caesar. Caesar wasn't exactly a Christian prince. So when I say, where is the spirit today? What I'm observing is something more like this. Lord, I will live anywhere you want me to live. Lord, send me anywhere and preach the gospel. I will preach the gospel anywhere you want me to preach as long as there's a Republican mayor. This is a doctrine of demons. Or as I put in my notes, are you kidding me? That is the worldliest thing I have ever heard cloaked in pseudo-spiritual pietism. 
by a person who calls everyone else a pietist. <laughs> well, Joel. A supposed Reformed Baptist blogger, podcaster. What in the world? You, you teach doctrines of demons now? Mm-hmm, apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, one correction would uh, be, so um, he lives not in Massachusetts, but in, in Manhattan. I'm sorry, So he's yes. in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, well, we actually had kind of a, a debate that was scheduled. It wasn't going to be like a debate in person, but the Daily Wire was going to have uh, Andy uh, Woodard and myself representing two different positions um but it didn't happen um because a certain someone who was heading it up with the daily wire uh ended up uh, seeking employment elsewhere i'll just leave it there um but but anyways all that said it got you know it got moved to the back burner maybe something will happen or come out of it but uh but i think part of the people haven't read the book um but what they saw was they saw me on steve dace uh, and so steve dace i like him you guys you you're, yeah. you're friendly with steve dace i think he's uh, a great brother who loves the lord and does a lot of great stuff but he's he's for the most part a political pundit and so he is a brother he is a christian um and i think he does great stuff and so i i was honored that he would have me on the show to talk about the book this is something that steve has talked about about a lot, you know, why conservatives and Christians need to leave, you know, blue states and move to red states as a political strategy. So Steve is having me on the show. Um, I'm going to oblige what he wants to talk about. And the primary thing that Steve and I talked about when I came on the show was political strategy. So we didn't talk about the book in its entirety. We didn't talk about um, all the uh, the scripture and the biblical reasons that the lion's share of the book talks about uh, the, the biblical commandments to men as fathers, as sons, as as husbands, as grandfathers, as church members, and talks about uh, how at the end of the day, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so we can't just say, I'm living on mission, um, but forego some of the clearest commandments in Scripture. And not in every case, but in some cases, geographically moving may better uh, be more conducive to a man's practical obedience to the clear commandments in scripture than him remaining in a place that's hostile to the gospel and has wicked policies that have economic effects that cause it to be more uh, more challenging to obey Christ. So that's there's a lot of different things in the book, but when I go on a Steve Day show and we're talking about politics, that's the thing that we talk about. So that's probably the issue is that Andy and some other guys they didn't read the book. They saw that one interview for, you know, 20, 25 minute segment where I talked about what Steve had me on to talk about the political strategy. And uh, these guys don't like political strategy. So, okay, go ahead, Pastor. Do- doctrine of demons. <laughs> just out of all the things that call doctrine of demons. I right, just, right. okay. I, but, I don't, I don't want to, we can stay if, here. We can if, hash. If, if this had been a, 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 a founder, you know, founders movie clip. Yeah. They'd all be canceled. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Ask Owen. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about here, uh, but I really want to talk about your book. I really want to try and dig into it a little bit because um, well, how, how, how do you actually fight by fleeing? Yeah. So I, my concern is, you know, I pastored in California for uh, a few years and my concern is that I think there's a lot of Christians who really love the Lord and want to make a difference. They want to be faithful, and uh, they only have two categories. It's uh, it's stay in in your blue state, your blue city, a progressive, godless place, and fight. Be a missionary. Be on mission, or it's uh, it's sin, compromise, surrender, quit, fail. 
Um, and so what I'm trying to argue is that uh, I really do believe that there's a way of of leaving that's not leaving the fight. It's leaving the geographic area, um, but it's actually a way of fighting. Um, and so I, you know, I use different texts. One text that, that I use is the prodigal son that, you know, it's it's a profound parable where, you know, the, the son, he's in a far off distant land and no one gave him anything. The text explicitly says that no one gave him anything. The very next line in the text is he came to his senses. Imagine that. So um, one of the worst things that could have happened for this young rebellious man is if a member of the father's house had sought him out with a misguided sense of compassion and given him, you know, a leg up. Uh, but he needed to be at the end of his rope. He needed to be at the bottom of the barrel when pig slop looks good. That caused him, no one giving him anything, to come to his senses. Then the very next thing is he begins to think about how even the lowest members of his father's house, the servants, they still have more than enough. And so he thinks, um, I need to go back to the father. I need to repent. I need to return. And so part of what I'm arguing at a political strategy, at a, at a fight-by-flight level, is I'm saying that I, I really think that in some sense, the salt of the earth often are propping up the very policies that they're trying to fight against. Uh, what would happen in a state like California if every conservative and every Christian just said, that's enough? That's enough. We're we're going to leave. And I think some people, by their mere presence, this isn't everyone, missionaries are a legitimate category. But for the average Christian, 16 million professing Christians out of 42 million total population in California, I don't think that the average professing Christian meets the missionary biblical criteria. For the average Christian, if they left and stopped propping up the state by their tax dollars, I think their presence is to fight, but often it ends up funding more than it's actually fighting. And so you think of 6 million votes for Trump in 2020. Was it close? No, 12 million for Biden. Uh, but in the Electoral College, Biden actually only won, despite the popular vote and despite all the shenanigans. With the Electoral College, he won by, by, you know, by different metrics, but Arguably, everybody would agree by less than 80,000 votes in a few swing states, three or four respectively. And so you think six million votes down the toilet. I was one of them. I left in December after the election. Um, but six million votes uh, that, that aren't ultimately going to do anything, you spread that out and all of a sudden, with all the talk about loving our neighbors, I'm thinking about 13 service member neighbors, you know, in Afghanistan that might have liked a different presidential administration. You know, there's a lot of things that would have been different in a tangible way. So that's the political argument, um, but that's not the primary or only argument in the book. So, okay. Uh, you say that they're propping up. Um, uh, I was thinking about this in part of your book. You said that most of the Christians that are there will be propping up California. Let's say that you decide to leave California and a lot of Christians decide to leave California. If you, isn't there an argument to be said that if you leave with the same sort of attitude that you were staying there with, all you have done is allow California to become as powerful as it can be, almost like finding a, a bear in the woods and not taking care of the bear. It's going to find its way out into other areas and harm someone. So if you don't, uh, I had this conversation with founders when we were talking about the documentary for uh, on the SBC. And it was the question at the time was, do we leave the SBC or do we engage and fight in the SBC? And part of my response to them was, listen, if you're going to leave the SBC, maim it if you can. Right. Don't leave the thing. If with all that money and all that power and all that ability to have impact wherever you decide to go to. And then, then you don't have any ability or any say so in what it does. 
And so, yeah, so there's a few differences though. Um, the SBC doesn't, uh, it doesn't collect money from the local churches at, at the end of a gun, but California does. Well, some would say, um, so you can okay. stay in the SBC <laughs> right. and you can legitimately give, I think less than $200 and pastor a mega church of 10,000 people and give less than $200 annually and still be a legitimate SBC member, get sure. to, to bring all your representatives to the convention, get to have all your voting power, all your fight. So a lot of fight, a little bit of fund. Um, that's not the case at, at a um, political tax level. So then if so you- it's not the same. So, well, okay. So, but the, my point is that if you leave it and it still has that kind of power, isn't it a problem? And, and the other side of the question is, okay, um, yeah, so go. Why don't you ask that part first, Joel? If you leave it and it still has all that power and authority, isn't there still a problem because it's not Maine? Well, part of my argument is that it doesn't have all that power because part of the source of that power is money and people. Um, so th there's a few different levels here. One is the level of money, the monetary issue of taxes, um, but then there's also just the 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 issue of of population. Um, California has already la uh, lost a seat. Um, I, th I think a couple seats. Can you guys verify that? Um, I don't know if it's one or two, yeah. but as a population shifts from one state to the other, like I'd like to see Idaho have more state represent uh, rep representatives. I'd like to see more political power. So we're not just talking about the state, right, but we're right. also talking at the federal level. So there's voting power, there's tax dollars, there's all these different things. And again, that's not the private, that's the thing that I keep talking about because that's the thing that people want to talk about because it's the thing that upsets people. But that's not the primary argument. The primary argument is I think that we're going to, I'm not saying we're here at this point. It's not a one-to-one -one ratio today. But it seems as though there's a trajectory where you can lose your kids if if they all of a sudden start um, identifying as the opposite gender and you're not affirming that. Uh, that is a real possibility. There's a bill right now with California. These things are happening. You've got you've got um, a, I think it was a state senator or or someone in California who who just had a, a speech that was going viral around the internet where he said, as soon as I finish my term, I'm leaving. And he literally said, if you love your kids, leave the state. I always argued, stay and fight, stay and fight. That's mm -hmm. not my argument anymore. You should leave. So here's my point. Um, California is not equivalent to the Sudan. Right. But it could be mm -hmm. eventually. And, and all I'm saying is I think that in America, that we've never had to think this way. But I think we're going to have to start thinking about states in our nation the way that we've thought about global missions, right? So when you think, hey, somebody wants to go to Pakistan, somebody wants to go to the Sudan, they, like they feel cold. Well, we wouldn't just send anybody. We, we would say, all right, that's a tough spot. That There's extreme hostility towards Christianity. Uh, there's some biblical criteria we need to consider. Let's talk with your elders. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's let's weigh these things. And there's a particular type of person that goes there, but it's not the average Christian. It's not the average Christian. And part of the problem here is when, when we say, well, everyone's a missionary. Uh-huh. Yeah, but we got to be real careful with our words. So everybody is a missionary. They're called to do 
missionary, capital M, missionary proper. In the same way, every man should be a pastor in his home, but not every man is an ordained minister on the Lord's day in the local church. Not every man is administering the sacraments. Not every man is publicly preaching the word. And so we understand that when, when we talk about pastors, lowercase p, shepherd in my home, pastor in my home, every man called, every Christian man called to be a pastor in some sense, but not in necessarily the proper sense. So too with missionaries. And, and one of the things that I want to say to some of my brothers is, um, I, I know it's shocking, but there are lost people in Texas. I, perhaps we, we're not aware of that, but um, I, I still get to do evangelism here. <laughs> there's probably, it, it's it's shocking, but there's probably a few non-Christians in Idaho, maybe even in Moscow. Yep. <laughs> You know, um, like, like there's actually, like you guys are sharing the gospel. So we still get to be lowercase m missionaries, but here's the deal. Not everybody's qualified to be a missionary proper in a very hostile place. And we've never thought about any terrain in the United States through that, that lens. But I think we're going to have to progressively begin to think in that way that the average Christian, um, to live faithfully may not be cut out for Manhattan. That doesn't mean that Andy's not. Right. That doesn't mean that that no one is. Um, but I don't think that the average Christian, 16 million professing Christians in California, should be thinking, well, hey, every Christian is called to be a missionary. I want to I, I don't know. I'm gonna follow up on that first. I need to read this. The mission of Armored Republic is to honor Christ by equipping free men with tools of liberty necessary to preserve God-given rights. In the Armored Republic, there's no king. But Christ, we are free craftsmen. Body armor is a tool of liberty. We create tools of liberty. Free men must remain ever vigilant against tyranny wherever it appears. God has given us the tools of liberty needed to defend the rights he's bestowed to us. Armored Republic is honored to offer you those tools with body armor. Yeah. And uh, you can visit them today at AR, the number 500, AR 500 armor.com. Check out that A3. It's amazing. Joel, say it. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right. Joel, um, so you might get, you probably get this question. I get it from time to time as a pastor. Someone will call or write me from a blue state. Um, right. Maybe, you know, Washington state is right over the border here from where we are here in Moscow. Um, Oregon's not too far away. California's not too far away. Uh, sometimes elsewhere. And, and they, and they, they reach out and they say, Hey, how do I know? How do I know? They're conscientious Christian, conscientious, conscientious Christian man who cares about their family um, is working there, you know, is, is, you know, maybe even, you know, is homeschooling or has got their kids in a faithful Christian school or something like this. And they, and, you know, they're, and oftentimes they may be even, you know, part of a decent church. Um, uh, what do you tell them? I, I've got, I've got a list of things that I tell them, uh, but I want to know what do you, what do you tell them? How do you, how do you uh, advise them to, to consider whether they are called to stay or whether they're called to go? Yeah. So I, one thing is I tell them to think in terms of four generations, the generation above being their parents. So as their parents age, are they in a position where they can give some return to their parents for this is pleasing to the Lord? That's First Timothy 5. It is explicitly addressing widows, but I do believe that there's general equity there that even if your father and mother are both still living, um, that it's it's great if we don't just ship our parents off to the glue factory. It, it's, I think, a wonderful God-honoring practice if we parents into our home and and we care for them and uh and that they're surrounded by their children and grandchildren perhaps even great grandchildren right. as they die um so that that's a generation above the generation that you are that would be your wife um at that level i think of titus 2 uh, one of the things that that is esteemed is keepers at home 
in in vein, the vein of Proverbs 31, I believe that women can supplement their household income. But even in Proverbs 31, industry was attached to the household in many different ways. This woman, she buys a field, she's making investments and turning a profit, praise God. But she's not necessarily going for 40 weeks out of the home working for another man. So even when she buys a field, she's making that decision. But what I always ask people is who's my field? <laughs> Her husband's. Um, and so she's uh, her industry is connected to the home, so and and duties are so fruitful that it's overflowing. Um, but it's still keep her at home, especially if you have young children in that particular season of life. So a woman can work in some capacity, but it is ideal and pleasing to the Lord as much as you can to be able to survive off of a single income, so mom can be with the kids. The kids now we're a generation below. Uh, fathers, this is Ephesians six four. Do not exasperate your children, but train them up. And so I believe that fathers are called to protect and provide in a very practical sense. Protect and provide—that's a gun and a job. Two things that California is trying to eliminate, by the way. But but protect and provide. And one of the things that a father is called to provide is not just food and shelter and clothing, but also a distinctly Christian education. And so it is not permissible. I don't believe it is permissible, especially in this day and age. It's one thing back when the public schools used to be kind of the Protestant schools, but they're not. And they haven't been for a long time, especially not in 2023, and especially not in a blue state. So I don't believe that it's permissible for a father to send his children to Caesar to be trained. I think that he's going to have to give them a Christian education. He's going to outsource a lot of this in most circumstances in homeschooling with his wife or uh, sending them to a Christian classical school. But in both cases, it means the wife has to be at home, so he can't rely on her for a second income, or he's going to have to pay tuition. He's going to have to pay, pay those property taxes for the public school he doesn't use and the tuition for this private Christian school that he does use. Then the fourth generation, even one, one below the children, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That cannot be anything less than a spiritual inheritance, but I would eat my hat if I ever wore one if it's not something more. I think that the Lord has in mind nothing less than a spiritual gospel-rich inheritance. But I also think the Lord's probably thinking about a little bit of cash. Now, that is a sliding scale, leaving an inheritance than somebody who's a Christian evangelical in America. And so I'm not putting a number on that, but I do think that we should be thinking about the financial well-being of our grandchildren. I think that's kind of the, the heart principle in that verse. So my question would be this to anybody who emails me from a blue state is, are you doing that? Is your wife working 40 hours a week out of the home? Are you actively thinking we should have less children? We should have less children. We should have less children because we can't afford them. Uh, do you own a home or are you building someone else's wealth by, by renting? Um, are, are you working towards and thinking about the financial planning of your grandchildren? Uh, your father and mother, are you geographically and economically positioned to give some return to your parents when that day comes and when they need it? And then lastly, I do believe uh, in the tithe. I believe that that's still a New Testament principle. Are you a part of a solid biblical local church and giving 10% of your income? Um, are you doing all that? If you are and you have a solid church in the community and you're not you're not having to compromise on any of these clear commands and you feel a call of God to stay and fight in the thick of it in the fray praise God God bless you the problem though is when people and and I know people like this we're saying I'm fighting the good fight I'm a missionary 
Kids are in public school. Wife works out of the home. Hmm. Not even a thought about mom and dad coming to live with them as they age. No financial planning for the children's children. They're not tithing to the church. They're giving 2%, um, but they're giving Caesar his full due. Um, At that point, I just want to say, okay, what do the state taxes go to? Is abortion? the books are you funding that let's it's going to be hard it's going to hurt but let's take an honest look here's your fighting resume for last year here's your funding resume hmm. are you out funding your fighting hmm. and be hmm. honest it may hurt mm-hmm. but let's ha- can we have that conversation without it being a doctrine of demons and if the answer is yes i'm funding more than fighting okay see if you can repent there yeah staying see if you can repent yeah. if you can't though leave not everyone's going to be a missionary to the sedan and that's not the same as manhattan yet yeah yet right that's good and and i think the thing there i just want to underline i know this is your point but it's like your christian obedience in caring for your parents in loving your wife well and providing and protecting your children and and then thinking of your grandchildren that obedience is this is central to the fight that's right. That is the fight. That yeah. is the fight. That is yeah. the fight. I mean, th- this is, this is, and, and we, it's hard to get our heads and hearts around this, but this is God's uh, blueprint for dominion. His yes. blueprint for dominion is the family, is faithful marriages, faithful generations uh, up and down. And that is the fight. And so your point is, if you're fighting, great, then stay and fight. If, if you're, if you if you're all in and you're making a dent then great. But if you're not actually fighting, then don't call what you're doing fighting when it's actually, right. when it's actually funding the enemies. Um, and, and I, and I think you're absolutely right. S- start by trying to repent and trying to obey. But if you just cannot given this, the, the constraints on you, then you need to, you need to repent, which means you need to go to wherever you can obey. Job, you got a time. Right. And this it. assumes that you can, right? So like, if it's like, well, I can't get my wife out of working 40 hours a week and I can't afford to, to, to get my kids out of the school. Um, my argument is saying, hypothetically, if you could in another place, right. then you should. Yeah. I think you should. Joe, hey, if you can't across the board, then okay, that, that's different. We'll have another conversation. Go ahead. We're, now we're going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to do it after the show, maybe for I, some backstage. I, I, I got to run, Joel, but... Tell tell Knox everything else, yeah. and then he'll and then he'll tell me. Uh, <laughs> right. Joe, thank you for joining us. Hold on one second, right there. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids? And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. It is the duty of the free man to resist tyranny at every turn. Every man will either watch his freedom stripped away or take action to protect what he loves. Introducing the A3, the newest revolutionary body armor from Armored Republic. The A3 is the new standard for lightweight multi-hit body armor. A3 plates are incredibly light at 4.6 pounds. The patented design captures fragmentation while remaining multi-hit capable. The A3 will stop up to M80 ball, yet comes in at only 0.7 inches thick. The A3 is the thinnest NIJ.06 compliant or certified composite standalone plate that includes the drop test. The A3 is the first of its kind, patent pending, that combines an alloy strike face with polyethylene backing, 
revolutionizing body armor technology by providing strength and durability while remaining sleek and maneuverable. The A3 is the new standard in lightweight body armor. The fight against tyranny just got stronger.